Blog Talk Radio. Frazier. 
The street fighter from Schenectady, New York, took losing to the Celtics as a personal affront to everything he stood for as a player and coach. The national media's skewering of his team and its leaders, Magic for not being clutch, Kareem for being too old, and Michael Cooper, James Worthy and company for being too soft, shook Riley to his very core. The perception of the purple and gold is soft, mentally weak, and chokers hovered around the franchise at the start of October's training camp. The team used this time not only to prepare for a rematch with Boston in June, but as a safe haven to repair fractured egos. Riley used the overwhelmingly negative criticism from day one as bulletin board fodder to cultivate the the us-against-the-world bunker mentality that would push the team above and beyond what seemed human. Magic, in particular, would take this season as a crusade to bounce back from the most crushing failure of his basketball life. Kevin McHale even reduced him to a punchline, calling him Tragic Johnson, a name that both stuck and stung. The loss to the Celtics in general, and head-to-head with Bird in particular, totally eclipsed Magic's air ball versus the Rockets in May of 1981, the awkward $25 million contract extension that summer, which sparked a civil war among his teammates, the messy firing of Coach Paul Westhead that fall, and the embarrassing sweep at the hands of Moses and Dr. J in the 1983 finals. Magic was serving hard time in basketball purgatory during the summer and fall of 1984, and there was only one way out, standing on a parade float down Figueroa Boulevard in Los Angeles this coming June, hoisting the golden ball. The cruelest fate was the demotion by a thousand cuts in the national media's eyes. Magic was now viewed as a distant second to Bird in overall mastery of the NBA hardwood. He was a superstar, but not a living legend, which had become Bird's nickname, Larry Legend. Bird had added regular season and finals MVP to his Rookie of the Year trophy as his exploits and total package of a game were now being touted in comparisons to the all-time greats, Russell, Oscar, West, Wilt, Kareem. Magic's 1979 NCAA championship and twin NBA titles in just six seasons seemed light years in the past. As an NBA photographer, I would receive another tremendous break in the fall of 1984. San Diego Clipper owner Donald Sterling, who owned oodles of prime real estate in Southern California, would move the hapless NBA franchise north just a few miles down the road from the Forum to the Los Angeles Sports Arena, an aging 14,000-seat landmark where Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, and the Lakers played their inaugural games upon their move from Minneapolis in the early 60s. Laker owner Jack Kent Cook would move the team to the sparkling new forum in 1968. The sports arena was without question the anti-fabulous venue, to say the least, which turned out to be perfectly fitting from its new, for its newest occupants. Renamed the Los Angeles Clippers, the team would try to siphon fans from the vast Laker fan base, offering a cheaper alternative to the rising prices of the sold-out forum and allowing NBA fans to see their favorite stars from around the league hammer the home team. That meant a possible 41 extra games to shoot, a bonanza for sport writers and sports photographers. Scott Carmichael, previously media director for the Kings, went over to the Clippers, and Andrew Bernstein was making deeper inroads with the NBA to provide the Clippers with photos as a lead photographer. He negotiated the placement of studio strobe lights into the four corners of the sports arena on a permanent basis for the 1984-1985 season, and I was able to purchase my own first set of strobes for my use, locking them next to Andrews in the sports arena ceiling as well into the season. 
This improved color quality expanded my vision and cemented my relationships with magazines overseas in Italy, England, and Spain. An added bonus of the Clippers' move to Los Angeles was a chance to watch Bill Walton attempt to return to elite center status after a seemingly endless string of foot and ankle surgeries causing him to miss over 200 games in his career. Walton had lost both vertical spring and lateral quickness, but he made up for that by an astute knowledge of the game of basketball. His anticipation on defense, positioning for rebounding, and timing for shot blocking still show flashes of the 1977-78 Walton, and his brilliant passing remained next to the level. Unfortunately, his fragile wheels had their own agenda, so his minutes were meticulously monitored by the Clipper medical staff. Walton's teammates were made up for either oft-injured or over-the-hill vets, wet-behind-the-ears rookies, and role players without a role. The Clips drafted forward Terry Cummings with the third pick in the 1983 draft, and he proved a solid selection, winning the Rookie of the Year award without the flash of James Worthy or Dominique Wilkins, but utilizes his full complement of power forward skills. So of course, the Clippers traded Cummings, Ricky Pierce, and Craig Hodges to the Milwaukee Bucks for perennial all-star Marcus Johnson, a former All-American at nearby UCLA, swingman Junior Bridgman, and center Harvey Catchings, beginning a long, painful road of bad personnel moves. The first-round draft pick that summer in one of the great draft classes in NBA history was guard Lancaster Gordon from Louisville with the eighth pick. Gordon would barely graze the nets with a 4.1 point-per-game average his rookie year. The change of scenery did little for the team's one-loss record. Coached by the embattled Jim Lyon, the Clippers finished 20 games below 500 in 1984-85, 31 games behind the Lakers in the Pacific Division. Lyon was mercifully replaced by assistant Don Chaney at the end of the season, but the team as it was constructed resembled a pickup squad at the local rec center. Be that as it may, hope sprung eternal in Clipperland, and I certainly wasn't complaining with all the extra games to shoot. The Lakers and Celtics would pick up where they left off as favorites in their respective conferences. The Lakers, however, stumbled out of the gate starting 3-5, and five, but going on a 10-game win streak in December, followed by another 10-game streak in February, which got them rolling. Shooting guard Byron Scott, thrown into the deepest water, Tony Soprano style, his rookie season, started to show Laker fans still in Norm Nixon denial, while general manager Jerry West knew best. Scott averaged 16 points a game and demonstrated both the long-range shooting touch and above-the-rim rattling athleticism finishing on the break that Nixon lacked. A Los Angeles native who went to high school just a few miles from the forum, Scott had an innate cockiness that fit right in with Magic and Cooper. His trial by fire was officially over. Nixon, by contrast, suffered the inglorious indignity of returning to L.A. in a Clipper uniform. An all-star selection as a reserve in February didn't numb the trauma of losing on a nightly basis. The Lakers and Celtics split their two regular season matchups, but Boston once again finished with the NBA's best record at 63-19, and one more win than Los Angeles. Bird would win his second consecutive MVP award on the strength of a 28.7 point-per-game average, 52% shooting percentage from the field, and 88% from the line, while hitting 56 of his 131 three-points attempts. That's about a month total for Steph Curry in today's game for 42%. Bird also plucked 10.5 rebounds and dished for 6.6 assists a game. The New York Knicks would suffer a devastating blow as league's leading scorer Bernard King would suffer a season and potentially career-ending ACL knee injury in the spring, 
sending them spiraling to the bottom of the conference and into the NBA's inaugural draft lottery that summer. Philadelphia and their new rookie Charles Barkley would make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, but both nagging injuries and the advancing ages of the great Julius Irving and a once-dominant Moses Malone, whose combined ABA-NBA minutes since the early 70s finally caught up to the both of them, would mark the beginning of the end of the Sixers' run as championship contenders in the 80s. Boston would repeat as Eastern Conference champs with playoff victories over Cleveland, Detroit, and Philadelphia, while the Lakers would steamroll Phoenix, Portland, and Denver on their way to the Western Conference title as Showtime Incorporated averaged, average, mind you kids, a mind-bending 131-point-per-game average in 13 conference playoff games. You heard that right, folks, 13 games. That was 17 points higher than their season average. For you math wizards out there, that's 32 points a quarter for 52 consecutive quarters. So it was deja vu all over again as Boston and the Lakers would meet for game one of the 1985 NBA Finals. Once again, to begin in historic Boston Garden, this time on Memorial Day 1985. What's normally a day to remember our fallen American soldiers turned out to be 48 minutes of slow, painful punches to the gut for a Laker team that spent 11 months truly believing they were the superior squad that threw away the 1984 Finals. Well, Boston begged to differ and then went out and annihilated the Lakers, 141-114 to in Game 1, much to the delight of the maniacal Boston Garden faithful, the game to be forever known as the Memorial Day Massacre. Boston outshot, out-rebounded, and out-hustled the Lakers while giving L.A. defenders whiplash with 43 assists. To drive home the point that it was Boston's night, Celtic forward Scott Wedman rose from the pine to shoot a perfect 11-for-11 from the field to lead the team with 28-6 points, tying Kevin McHale for game honors and leading six Celtics in double figures. Magic totaled exactly one rebound in the game, while Kareem finished fourth in a two-man track meet with Celtic center Robert Parrish. The Chief ran a 35-year-old Abdul-Jabbar up and down the court like a Ferrari lapping a Volvo. Abdul-Jabbar shot 6-for-11 for 12 points and 3 rebounds in 22 excruciating minutes. The post-mortem was uglier than the game. The national media proclaimed this three-hour crucifixion the official end of Kareem's career. Magic now a second-class NBA citizen, and the end of this Laker team is a serious title contender. Boston's second consecutive championship just seemed a matter of how many games it would take to finish them off. Red Orbach's pungent cigar smoke once again rose to the garden rafters while the Boston leprechaun danced a jig around the parquet floor with the ghost of Celtics past. The Celtic team, however, was not about to buy into the Lakers being dead in the water, not for a nanosecond. Although Game 1 was a perfect storm of magnificent Boston basketball and putrid Laker effort, it was still only Game 1. Bird and his gang Green had been on the other end of a major beatdown by Los Angeles just 12 months ago in Game 3 of the 1984 Finals at the Forum, and they had similarly been written off by everyone but the 12 guys in the Celtic locker room and their coaches. That's when Bird, in a post-game masterstroke, famously called out his team, calling them sissies, after which he willed the Celtics to three wins in the next four games to wrest the title from the Lakers' cold, dead hands. Bird was accurate to assume Riley was in full temporal vein bulging mode, breathing fire and spewing venom in the visitors' locker room down the hall, which all but guaranteed they would get the Lakers' best shot in game two. 
and then some. The excellent 2015 HBO documentary on Kareem, A Minority of One, describes how the captain sat in the front row of the post-mortem Game 1 film session, instructed Riley to give him his best Bobby Knight sermon, and Riley proceeded to go to town on his captain in front of the whole team. Kareem apologized to his teammates for his lousy performance, and rather than take his usual breaks or skip his usual drills in the next few days, he ran entire practices full force with the team at warp speed until Magic pleaded with Riley to make him sit before he exploded from spontaneous combustion. Magic also talked about Kareem one and his father to sit with him on the team bus on the way to game two. Riley never allowed family to sit on the bus under any circumstances. Mr. Alcindor was a strong, silent type, and we have no idea what spiritual communication he shared with his son for those 20 minutes, nor is there any existing intel regarding their discussions before they boarded the bus. That will be forever stored in Abdul-Jabbar's vast mental vault. What we do know is Kareem walked into center court for Game 2 in Boston Garden, fully locked and loaded. In the game Pat Riley still calls the most important game in Laker history, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar turned back the clock to his 1967 UCLA Bruin days and showed everyone why he's one of the greatest basketball players that ever lived. He challenged the Celtic front line from the opening tip on both ends of the floor, raining down skyhooks and throwing back Celtic attacks at the rim. He ran the floor with abandon and hit open teammates for easy baskets. Kareem's hyperkinetic energy level galvanized his teammates, and the Lakers started pushing the ball again, getting easy baskets and regaining the offensive rhythm that in turn sparked their defensive intensity. Inspired by their captain, Magic reclaimed his mojo and began doing magical things again with the basketball. James Worthy kept the pressure on Boston, scoring 14 first-half points on fast-break dunks or killer post-up moves, using that quickest first step in the game to repeatedly beat the Celtic front line to the rim. Kevin McHale was having another great game for Boston in Game 2. He had perfected a post-up repertoire that was untouchable, and his impeccable footwork kept the Laker defenders off balance. He was now at a stature where he demanded a double team to stop him, and that was just music to Larry Bird's ears. Bird always felt McHale was a little too jovial and nonchalant about his job and had a magnificent, the magnificent still skit to be a top-five player in the league. McHale had a little Barkley in him and always had a huge grin or a humorous quip to share in the court with players, ref, coaches, or the media in the locker room. That may or may not have gone over well with Bird, who was rumored to have a wicked sense of humor but was serious as two heart attacks once he stepped on the court. There's a bit of a game within the game between Bird and McHale, just as it was between Kareem and Magic earlier in the decade, just two super egos colliding and trying to find the equilibrium for the good of the team. Kareem will get the well-deserved accolades for his Game 2 performance, but Pat Riley made a masterful move of his own by inserting power forward Mitch Kupchak in the Game 2. As mentioned on an earlier podcast, Kupchak came to Los Angeles in 1982 trade as an enforcer for Kareem in the low post. He suffered a devastating knee injury 18 games into the season, damaging ligament, tendon, and bone at a time when orthopedic surgery and rehabilitation for torn ligaments was in its infancy. In my other life, I started in January 1985 as a physical therapist for the Curl and Job Orthopedic Clinic in Inglewood, three blocks in the Forum, where Dr. Stephen Lombardo had served as a surgeon to the Lakers. There I watched Mitch put in grueling two-a-day workouts on the Nautilus machines to strengthen his knee as he was relegated to the end of the Laker bench for the better part of two seasons now, wearing a cumbersome knee brace which weighed about as much as a small child. 
Riley needed to match what he called Boston's force. And in game two, Kupchak finally got the call to do what he did best, put his body on people, every part of his body. Kupchak was taller and thicker than Kurt Rambis, and he made the Celtics feel him immediately. Riley also brought in Kupchak's partner at the end of the bench, forward Larry Spriggs, to throw his weight around anything we're in Celtic green. Those extra 12 fouls to give off the bench sent a not-so-subtle message that the Lakers may lose the game, but they weren't losing the physical battle this June. The Lakers led by 18 at halftime and held on for a 109-102 split at Boston Garden. Kareem finished with a stat stuffing 30 points, 17 boards, 8 assists, and 3 rejections. Michael Cooper scored 22 off the bench, Worthy finished with 16, and Magic added 14 with 13 dimes. So the Laker core four of Kareem, Magic, Worthy, and Cooper rose to the challenge, and Pat Riley coached the best 48 minutes of his life as the series headed back to the forum for the next three games. An added bonus for the Laker victory, the NBA would unveil their 2-3-2 finals home game format for the first time, designed to decrease cross-country travel time for the players and overall expenses for the networks, league officials, and national media. The strategy of the finals would change for the next 30 years, as the pivotal Game 5 would not be held on the home floor of the team with the NBA's best record. Now the pressure for the home team to win the first two games became paramount, and the Celtics needed to win at least one of the next three to bring the series back to the parquet floor. Well, Game 3 wouldn't be that game for Boston, as Showtime ran the Celtics off the floor the last three quarters in a 136-111 blowout. Worthy led the Lakers with 29. The captain kept rolling with 26 and another 17 boards, while Magic chipped in with 17 points to go with 16 assists. Bob McAdoo even dusted off his old-school 1982 jumper for 19 points off the bench. McHale continued his stellar offensive play with 31 points to lead the Celtics. Right on cue, Boston slowed the pace and took the momentum right back with a signature slow time, grinded out victory in an intense game four, overcoming a seven-point fourth-quarter deficit to even the series at two games apiece, 107-105, as Bird found DJ for a cold-blooded 18-foot jumper from the left wing as time expired. Once again, McHale led Boston's big three with 28 points. DJ finished with 27 while Bird had his fingerprints all over the victory with 27 points, 11 rebounds, and 5 assists, including the game-winning dish to DJ and three back-breaking steals in the fourth quarter to rally the Celtics. Danny Ainge chipped in with two enormous clutch jumpers in the final two minutes to keep the Celtics within striking distance. Magic, unfortunately, summoned his engineer Tragic Johnson with three critical turnovers in the fourth quarter, while Kareem struggled through foul trouble to finish with 21 points but only six rebounds. The tug-of-war that was game four, a carbon copy of the classic that took place exactly 12 months ago on that same floor, served as a brilliant testimony to the golden series of the golden age of basketball. Eight future Hall of Fame players and two future Hall of Fame coaches at the peak of their powers going toe-to-toe in the middle of the ring beating the crap out of each other for 15 rounds while no one blinked each team landing haymaker after haymaker while the other would just take the hit then counterpunch after exhausting battle of wits and wills here we were once again tied at two games apiece the mood at the forum for game five was a loosely blended cocktail of nervous anticipation 
high anxiety and blind faith for Laker fans. They could recite in their sleep the overwhelming odds which favored the winner of Game 5 as eventual NBA champions. Ten out of the last 15 years it played out that way, but millions of Angelinos were also well-versed on the two occasions where the Lakers led the hated Celtics 3-2 to in the finals and lost. In 1962, when Frank Selvey missed a potential championship-winning basket with seconds left in regulation, only to lose the game and the title in overtime. And then the painful memory of the celebratory balloons stuck in the form rafters after Game 7 in 1969, while Bill Russell once again ran off the floor clutching the title. Of course, the wounds were still fresh from just 12 months ago, when the brutal McHale clothesline and Kurt Rambis in Game 4 turned the game and a potential Laker 3-1 to series lead on its head and into a seventh-game Boston Garden party. These lowlights would be immortalized on film for future Laker fans, the ghost of Celtics' past haunting them for all eternity thanks to the magic of YouTube. Like the bully that mercilessly took your lunch money each day, Boston had thoroughly crushed the collective psyche of Laker Nation for two decades, a recurring nightmare in green that was passed down through the generations from grandfather to father to son, their wives, mothers, and daughters. The emotional scars left by the previous eight finals defeats tempered the palpable excitement sweeping through the corridors of the forum prior to the players lining up for Game 5. The Celtic organization were in a cool confidence bordering on arrogance that the byproduct of 15 world championships ate over the home team proudly on their chest, while the Lakers' historical narrative rested squarely on the shoulders of the three men who spent every minute of the last 12 months planning for this very moment. Pat Riley and Magic Johnson burned with an unparalleled competitive fire that turned this championship series into a crusade to erase, as Laker owner Jerry Buss would call it, the most odious sentence in the English language, that the Lakers have never beaten the Celtics. The key to victory, however, would hinge on the performance of the man they call the captain, a seven-foot-two living legend, now the NBA's all-time leading scorer with six MVP awards and three NBA championships in his 16 seasons, the most unique player in the history of the league with only one glaring omission on his resume, a championship series victory over Boston. While Abdul-Jabbar had been magnificent in the past three games, the team will once again lean on Kareem's zen-like composure under pressure and then on that unstoppable skyhook. As he had done time and time again, he would rise to and above the challenge. So stay tuned, folks, for part two of the 1985 NBA championship. This is Steve Roseboro, the Golden Age Basketball Podcast, wishing you all a good night.